We are going to be looking at a theme this morning. For me, it's like the stuff that the best myths are made of, or the greatest legends, or uh, those stories that are larger than life that capture the heart after a generation of generation. Like, like the kinds of themes that are in epic movies, let's say from the days of kings and knights. So I, uh, I, put, I put our scripture passages up, as you can see, in a special font that hopefully gives it that feel for you. So we are going to be looking at a theme that we will springboard from a theme that happens to be both in this parasha, which is Chaye Sarah, uh, it's in the, the book of Genesis, and also um, a line from our readings from the Gospel, specifically Matthew chapter 11. So let's, let's look at a verse together, and basically whenever I say read with me, you'll know to look up and we'll have the next slide up and then you can read with me. So that's going to be your cue this morning. So if you want to read with me from the book of Bereshit, Genesis chapter 24, verse 36, we read this. Now Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age, and he has given him all that he has. And of course, this is Eliezer on his mission to find a bride for the son of Abraham, Yitzchak. And uh, he's, he's recounting what happened to Abram in those several decades since he he uh, left town and moved to Canaan. So that's, that's what Eliezer has to, has to say. Um, our next verse, if you want to read it to me, read it with me, sorry, it's Hebrew. The English, if you want to flip it one more over, it's, uh, it's uh, Genesis chapter 25, verse 5. And it says, Now Avraham gave all that he had to Yitzchak. If you want to back it up, let's read that together in Hebrew. I, I, I'm going to try and like put a Hebrew verse in every week for you guys, just so we can stay really sizzling hot with our Hebrew skills. Okay. Vayitain Avraham. Now the verb that we're going to be keying in on on our talk today is the verb to give, which is natan. Everybody say natan. You, you have this verb in like the, the name Nathan or Nathaniel. The, the root is natan and it means he gave. All right. Now, Natan means he gave. Notain means he's giving, or he he uh, he's the giver of. Like you know, when we sing Notain Ha Torah, God is the giver of the Torah. He's giving the Torah. Right. The future tense is Yitain. He will give. So here, when it says Vayitain, when there's a vav on the beginning of a word, it means and, and it's called the vav consecutive. It flips the tense to past tense from future tense. Kind of cool, okay? So, Vaitain, and he gave, that is to say, Avraham, next line, et, kol, asher, lo. Let's break that down. Et is pointing to who will be receiving the action. It's a little Hebrew word spelled Aleph and Tav. The Greek equivalent is Alpha and Omega. There's something about this word that always points to Messiah, unlike kind of an, a messianic sowed level. Anyway, so it's saying, what did he give? Coal, which is all, a share that lo is his. So kol a share lo means everything that is his. So Avraham gave everything that was his, next line, la Yitzchak. La is two, and you know who Yitzchak is. That's, that's one of the tougher Hebrew names to say. In English, we say Isaac, right? I have a new nephew, and his name is Isaac, so I have a new level of love for that name. But um, Yitzchak is how you say it in Hebrew. Yitzchak. 
Yitzchak. Yitzchak. Good, good job. Excellent. Okay. Now, there is a parallel thought in our readings from the Gospels. And this is cool because I didn't plan it. It just happened to be this way. If you'll read with me in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 27, we hear Yeshua saying, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. So did you hear that? In the Torah, Abraham gave Isaac everything he has. In the Gospels, the Father gave everything to Yeshua. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at this verb, giving, as it applies between the Father, God the Father, and the Son Yeshua, God the Son. Uh, Basically, this is going to be something of a meditation. We're just going to be thinking deeply about this concept, and we'll see where it goes. Um, You remember a couple of weeks ago, I introduced the concept of listening between the lines to you. As you're reading through the scriptures, listen between the lines for the dialogue between the Father and the Son, because it's on every page. And it will really bring your scripture study to life. All of a sudden, it's all about Him. It's all about shamaing in to that dialogue between the Father and the Son. So that's what we're going to do. And I, I, I pray that we can really lose ourselves this morning in like the, the rich fellowship and the, the glorious interaction that is happening right now between the Father and the Son. It's an eternal dialogue. It is like an everlasting fellowship. And when we listen with our spirits, we get, we get caught up in it. I think that's the, heart of, that's the heart of Scripture study for me. Uh, there, there are three reasons why this concept is important. Understanding this concept of the Father giving to the Son that we're going to be thinking about today. Uh, firstly, because it's about knowing Him. So when we study the Scriptures, it's not about me, it's, and it's not about knowing me, correlatively. You know, you can each put, put those words in your own mouth. It's not about you, it's not about knowing you. When we study the Scriptures, it's about knowing Him. In fact, in Yochanan chapter 17, verse 3, Yeshua is talking to the Father in the most intimate dialogue that we have recorded, and He says, and this is chaye olam, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Yeshua the Messiah, whom you sent. Did you hear that? Eternal life is not about going to heaven when you die. Eternal life is not actually about you at all. Eternal life is about knowing the one true God, and Yeshua the Messiah whom he sent. So guess what? Eternal life already started for you. And as we study the word and as we listen between the lines like we're going to do this morning, you're going to find yourself caught up in that eternal life that Yeshua shed his blood and paid such a high price so that we could experience it. Uh, that's number one. The other two reasons this is important, it's a principle that you become like the person or the people that you idolize that you look up to, that you most admire. You become like the God that you worship, is another way that you could, you could phrase it. We become like the people that we spend most of our time watching. And that's for better or worse. Uh, often, if, 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 if we've grown up in homes where there was some dysfunction, the people that we spend most of our time watching are the people that we are most likely to become like. And thankfully, the, the gospel comes in to say, but I'm here to change you, the Father says. I'm here to be your new model, etc. But that's, that's a fact. And so, as we, as we spend time just looking at the Father and the Son, we find ourselves becoming like them. I, I'll, give you, I'll give you a scripture for that if you want to read it with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding the Master's glory, as in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory 
Justice from the Master, the Spirit. So did you hear that? All of us, us as a community, with unveiled face, because we know Yeshua and we're reading the Bible from a messianic perspective, are beholding His glory. That's who, like, who He is is glorious. So when you behold Him, you're beholding His glory. Yeah, that, that phrase, in a mirror. Today we have like crystal clear mirror reflections, right? In the ancient world, a mirror, to behold something in a mirror actually meant to behold it dimly. To not have a very clear picture. Because ancient mirrors were not made from glass type materials, they were made from like polished copper or bronze or some similar substance. So if you've ever looked at yourself in polished copper or bronze, you get something of a picture, but it's not crystal clear. That's the idea there. And it says, even seeing his glory as in a mirror, it's changing you from the inside out. It's transforming who you are so that you become more like him. And it says from glory to glory. That means like in increasing degrees. So more glory every day. That's exciting. I, 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 I want to offer this to you as like an art that I believe the Father is inviting each one of us to grow in. It's the spiritual art of beholding. Oh, that, that's the verb there, beholding. Like just looking, just staring, just gazing. And it's phenomenal because we can't see the Almighty's glory with our physical eyes. But you have a spirit. In fact, you are a spiritual being. And your spirit can see spiritual realities. Through your spirit, you're able to behold what's going on in the spiritual dimension. And what did Yeshua say? God is a spirit. And when we worship him, it's in spirit, right? Our encounters with him are in spirit. So that is an art that we can grow in. It's not just a matter of reading the Bible. It's not just a matter of talking about him, let's say, in a Midrash context. It's a matter of looking at him and beholding him, just gazing on his glory. That's, like, that's an art that we can grow in. So, you know, it's not, about, it's not even just about, let's say, quiet time or doing devotions or whatever you call it when you spend time with him. Look at that as time when you can just gaze on him in his glory. Look at that as time when you can just watch him. That's the idea there. Just like Yeshua's disciples would follow him around and watch him like a hawk and like just observe his ever movement and say, look what he just did. Why did he do that? How did he do that? That's the idea behind studying the scriptures. It's so exciting. It brings it to life. Um, on a practical level, let's say for those of us who are fathers or mothers, when you watch, when you watch the ultimate father, and how he relates to, let's say, his children, the people of Israel, in the Exodus account, or how he relates to Yeshua the Son, you will see his glory through that, and you'll find your heart being transformed into his. You'll, you'll, you'll find yourself relating to your children and your grandchildren more like he relates to his children. That's the idea of being transformed in, more into his image. So, for instance, when you, see, when you see the Father's generosity to the human race, when you see the Father's generosity to His beloved Son, Yeshua, you'll find that same generosity welling up in your heart because you have a role model, because you have someone that you're becoming like. That's the, that's the idea there. So that's why this whole concept of beholding Him is important. And then thirdly, it's, it's really critically important to understand Yeshua the Son's relationship with His Father because you won't understand your relationship with the Father until you understand Yeshua's relationship with the Father. Yeshua's relationship with the Father is, is the template that ours is patterned after. So like, the Father has given you things, but you're not going to really realize what it is He's given you until you see what the Father has given His Son Yeshua. 
when you see the Father's relationship with Yeshua, and what the Father has given Yeshua, you'll automatically see who you are, and you'll see what He has given you. And that's powerful. So as we look at some key things that the Father has given the Son, I'm going to give you some passages where it says, the Father gave this to His Son, and then I'll give you like a correlative passage that says, this is what the Father has given you, the Bride. And you'll see some distinct similarities. It's, a, it's, it's very thrilling. It's, it's, it's not really, I guess it's not surprising though that what the Father has given the Son, He's also given us because uh, there's, this, there's this thread that runs through the writings of Yeshua's apostles that we have this union with the Messiah. It's like a spiritual union. It's like, you could even call it a doctrine. It's like the doctrine of our union with the Mashiach. You'll often see the apostles writing things like, He is in you, or you are in Him. That's a theme that comes up frequently. Or, or, or Shaul, for instance, Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, he talks about how like marital intimacy is a picture of becoming one with Yeshua in spirit. Having that spiritual connection with him, a deep bond. And uh, so that's something that we're going to be looking at also as we go through this passage. So I'm going I'm to list for you 12 things that the Father has given the Son, just like Abraham gave Isaac certain things. And uh, I'm going to try and draw each one of them for you also. Just some kind of little emblem or picture. Tears and I have been getting such a kick out of drawing together after we studied the Gospels in Hebrew uh, after supper. So I thought, hey, why not, why not bring some of the joy here this morning too? And that, that's, so that's going to be cool. So the first thing that we see the Father giving His Son is love and approval. Uh, if you want to read with me, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17 after Yeshua's immersion in water at the hands of Yochanan, it says, Look, behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my dear son. I'm so pleased with him. And that's, uh, that's my translation. Um, this is my dear son. I'm so pleased with him. Uh, correlatively, we also read in the book of uh, John, chapter 17, verse 24. If you want to read that one with me also, you can just back it up a little bit. That, there you go. Yeshua is talking to the Father in this intimate dialogue again, and he says, You loved me before the foundation of the world. So what was the Father doing before he created space and time and all of us little people and angels and stuff? He was loving the Son. And what was the Son doing before the commencement of the universe? My guess is he was loving his Father also. There was like this divine love flowing before space and time were even created. So that's the first thing we see the Father giving His Son. Love and approval. Um, here, here's a practical application for those of us who are Abbas and Imas, uh, daddies and mommies, and, and, and grandpas and grandmas too. You see how the Father, He didn't hold back on His affection. He, he, he publicly showed demonstrations of His love and approval for His Son. And uh, we, we, can, we can look up to that. Like, so like never, never hesitate to tell your children that you love them that they're dear to you. Even if they're like, oh, dad. Or, you know, like, oh, mom, you know. My mom tells me she loves me, and I'm like, oh, mom, you know. But, but you know what? It does something to their hearts, no matter what their ages are. And you see the eternal father saying these kinds of words to his eternal son. Like, never hesitate to show physical affection, right? The father didn't just do this in a closet or in a, in a corner. He publicly said, this is my son. I love him so much. I love you, boy. Like, those are the kinds of words you hear the father saying to the son in front of however many people were on the banks of the Jordan. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people. So like, and, and, and never, and like, take every opportunity you can to, to express approval 
of, of your children and your grandchildren. Tell them that they please you so much, that, that you're proud of them. And I'll, I'll tell you a temptation as, as parents and grandparents. A temptation is to make your love conditional, to make your approval contingent on their achievements or their behavior. And a lot of children wrestle with this. A lot of children have scars from this. They'll grow up saying, you know what? My dad never told me he was proud of me unless I did something that he thought was worth doing. Unless I, did, I achieved, unless I made a certain grade. Then I would get his, get his approval. And, and many children grow up to become workaholics or become people that are un- insecure in who they are or become people who are always trying to do more. They can never do enough because when they were kids, their parents never gave them unconditional approval. So a practical application of, of, this, of our seeing the Father giving His Son approval is just, you know what, regardless of what your children do or don't do, aside from their behavior, whether they ever achieve anything that you, you think is worthwhile or not, tell them, I'm proud of you. Tell them, you make me proud. Tell them, I, I approve of you. You have my approval. You, you make me happy. Those, those kinds of words. And, uh, you know, for some of us, our dads never told us these things. Our moms never, never expressed these types of things for us. You know, for some of us, we could say, you know what, my dad never told me that he loved me. You know, my dad never showed me physical affection. My, my mom never just gave me her approval and said she was proud of me. And uh, for a lot of us, we, we wrestle with that decades and decades, even after our parents are, are, are dead and gone. But um, I think that's where the gospel comes in, because the creator of the universe steps in and says, I'm going to be your new dad. His spirit comes in and says, I'm going to mother you in the ways that you've never been mothered. And I'm going to show you unconditional love. I approve of you regardless of what you do because you are righteous in my eyes. It doesn't matter about your achievements. Your behavior is another thing. I love you. I approve of you. You're proud of you. I'm proud of you. You make me happy. You hear the Father saying those things to Yeshua and hear the Father saying those things to your heart this morning. Um... The second thing that we see the Father giving the Son is a mission, a job to do, specific assignments. If you want to read with me John chapter 17, verse 4, again, this intimate dialogue between the Son and the Father, and He says, Father, I glorified You on the earth, having accomplished the work which You have given me to do. So did you notice that? Yeshua had a mission, and His mission was to glorify His Father. And He accomplished His mission by completing the assignments, the work that the Father gave Him to do. Oh yeah, right. Okay, so we're going to draw... Thank you, Genevieve, for that cue. Let's, let's draw a picture of the Father showing approval and love to the Son. How would we do that? Um, here, how about this? We'll draw a picture of a Father... And a son. And uh, there, the father has his arm on the son's shoulder. And he's looking at his son and smiling. And the son's really happy. There, okay? So that's love and approval. The father has a. I kind of forget the like, physical proportions, okay? Okay, so the concept of a mission. Let's. Um, Let's, let's look at this concept of mission and then give me a cue at the end and we'll draw a picture representing it, okay? Um, so we, we see here that Yeshua completing the assignments that His Father gave Him, the work that He was given to do, was how He glorified the Father. Uh, take note, it's the same for you. It's the same for me. Uh, read this passage with me. John chapter 20, verse 21. Yeshua says to the early Messianic community, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. 
the Hebrew verb descend, shalach, it has everything to do with your mission. So the, the mission that the Father gave me, I am now giving to you. I'm passing the torch that I received from the hand of my Father to you, the community of my disciples, is what we hear the Master saying. So here's the question. What was Yeshua's mission that he received from the Father and gave to us? I see it as being something of a three-pronged mission. I'll, uh, I'll break it down for you. Um, Yeshua's three-pronged mission was like to humanity in general, to everybody on planet Earth, and to Israel in particular. Because the creator of the universe established a covenant relationship with Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he made covenant-based promises to them. And Yeshua came to make good on those promises. And in Romans chapter 15, Paul writes that Mashiach came to be a servant to the circumcision, i.e. to the Jewish people, to confirm the promises of God on their behalf, to glorify God for his faithfulness. All right? So there's kind of this mission that's to the humanity in general and to the people of Israel in particular. And I see this being a tri-pronged mission. Uh, number one, Yeshua came to herald the good news that God is the true king. When we look at the world around us, when we watch the news, when we read the paper, it does not look like God is the true king. Sometimes violence is... Uh, is like uncontrolled. People are murdered. There was someone murdered on, on the street next to us this last week. Um, there are things that would make it appear that the planet Earth, that God is not the true king over planet Earth. Yeshua came to say, God is the true king over planet Earth. He does call the shots, and his kingdom is coming fully in the near future. It's at hand. Uh, we call that preaching. Everybody say preaching. The second prong is Yeshua came to fly the banner of truth in the face of lies and to explain to people what's what. He came to show them how to do life, to tell them what's really going on, what's the big picture. We call that teaching. Everybody say teaching. And then finally, Yeshua came to bring life and restoration on a physical level and on a soul level. We call that healing. Everybody say healing. All right, so when I, when I look at this tri-pronged mission, I see that Yeshua was sent to preach good news, to teach people the facts, show them reality, and to heal people physically and on a soul level. And then Yeshua turns around after his resurrection and he says, guys, this mission that I got from the Father, tag, go for it. It's your mission now. Um, another aspect of the mission that the father gave his dear son is uh, a supreme court justice. You could say that Yeshua is like the chief sheriff of this town we call planet earth. Uh, if you want to read with me uh, again from the gospel of Yohanan John, uh, chapter 5 verses 22 and 23, we read Yeshua saying, not even the father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the son so that all will honor the son even as they honor the father. He who doesn't honor the Son doesn't honor the Father who sent him. So did you hear that? The Father gave the realm of judgment, authority to bring justice to planet Earth, to one man. And his name is Yeshua. And the Father did that intentionally. His reason was so that Yeshua would be honored. That's pretty in your face. Hey, Yeshua said, you know what? If you don't honor me, you cannot honor the Father. Sometimes, sometimes even in the messianic world, people are almost hesitant to give Yeshua too much honor. They say, well, you know, we don't want to detract from the glory that belongs to God alone. Or, or we, we, we don't, we, 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 you know, the Father is the one who deserves to be honored. But Yeshua says, actually, au contraire. When you honor the Son, 
you're actually honoring the Father. So you can't honor the Son enough. Did you get that? You cannot honor the Son enough. It's the way it works. When you honor Yeshua, you're automatically honoring the Father. The Father's not insecure. He's not like, oh no, oh no, Yeshua's taking my glory. No, it's the same glory. That's the idea there. So this was a big thing too uh, in the apostles' preaching. Uh, Paul in Acts 17, when he was preaching to the Greek philosophers at the Areopagus, concluded his talk by saying, God appointed a man to judge everybody on planet Earth for their deeds. When he, by, and he, he proved that he's the real judge by raising him from the dead. Um, so we see that when Yeshua comes back, he's going to judge the planet. He's going to review the records of everybody their actions, and he's going to mete out rewards and punishment to them. That was something that the Father gave the Son. So let's draw, let's draw a picture to represent mission here. How are, we going to, how are we going to represent mission? Maybe just with an arrow? Generally, you have a pointing finger? Okay. Okay, let's draw, let's draw a pointing finger. Oh, man, I don't know if I can do this. Um, okay, there's a finger pointing. There's a fingernail. And then here are the other three fingers... And then I guess you'd have the thumb like this, right? Okay, and I'll draw an arrow there too, just so everybody knows what that means. Cool. Okay, mission. Okay, the third thing that we see the Father giving the Son is a name. What does, what does the concept of a name mean in Hebrew? Okay, yeah, look that up in the Delich Gospels if you want. See what it has to say about the Hebrew idiom for name. Uh, it has the connotation of an identity. Your name is your identity, who you are, and also of your reputation. So if you have a good rap or a bad rap, that's your name. Um, it also has the connotation of fame if you're a famous person, pop star, celebrity, etc. You have a name. So let's look at two passages where the father gives the son a name. He gives him an identity. He gives him a reputation. In John chapter 17, verse 11, we read Yeshua saying, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are. Wow. So did you hear that? The father's identity, the father's reputation, who he is, he gave to the son. He imparted to the son. So Yeshua, who Yeshua is is so wrapped up in who his father is. They are inextricably related to each other. And similarly, the father's reputation is the son's reputation and vice versa. Isn't it cool too that the father says, keep them in your name which you've given me that they may be echad even as we are? So there's something about this when we get into God's name and what it represents, who he is, his reputation in this world, we as the body of Messiah will experience that real unity that he prayed for. I feel like that's a big thought. I, I, wanna, I just want to contemplate that this upcoming week. I feel like there's a lot there. And I, haven't, I don't feel like I've even unpacked it all in my own mind as I've thought through some of these things with the Master. Uh, let's also read Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 together. It says, For this reason also... God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. What, what name is that that's above every name? Yeah, Yeshua. Or could it be, Yeshua, what did Yeshua say in the other verse? Keep them in your name which you have given me. Could it be that that's the name of God spelled in Hebrew, yod heh I believe so. The name of Yahweh has been conferred upon Yeshua who is God the Son. That's how I would see that. Right. The f- so let's. Uh, how, how, how shall, what shall we draw to um, picture the name, the, the identity and reputation of the Father being given to the Son? 
a name tag. Okay, cool. Let's do that. Um, I think my pen is drying out. I have another one. Could could someone just grab it from my little bag there? Thank you. Okay. Okay, there, there's a person, and there's a name tag. Thank you. Great. And I uh, will draw a smiley face on the person, because I like smiley faces. Okay, there. Name tag. Name. This is fun. Okay, the fourth, the fourth thing, uh, you can't really call this a thing, but uh, you know, we'll use that word for now, that the father, we see the father giving the son as a bride. And uh, before we get into this, I want to make a practical application, uh, especially like, let's say if you're young, if you're single, if you're just waiting for the one, and maybe you're even like, how long is this going to take? Uh, I, I want to make a practical application for you. Uh, you'll notice that before the father gave his beloved son a bride, he gave him three things. He gave him love and approval. He gave him a mission, like a job description, tasks to do. And he gave him a name. He gave him an identity and a reputation. This is like a really practical thing if you're single and you're waiting for the one. Focus, focus on growing in these three areas. Focus on your relationship with the father and his love for you, his approval of you. Focus on growing in, understanding the mission that he has for you, the specific job description that he has for you. And focus on who you are in him, your identity. And uh, try build a good reputation for yourself too, because a good reputation will go a long way when you go a courting. Genevieve had a pretty high degree of respect for me before she ever met me just because she'd heard good stuff about me. So that was working in my favor, right? So that's a, that's a good thing to have on your side. Um, unfortunately, in today's world, especially, I, I was a young man, so I'm going to talk from a young man's perspective, okay? As a young man, often, like, as young men will be deficient in one or all of these areas, and instead of growing in them, we'll look to a romantic relationship and we'll look to a girl to fill that in our lives. And it never works. And, and this happens in marriage also. So let's look at each one of those things specifically. Love and approval. Sometimes a young guy will have missed his father's love or he will not have felt approval from people that should have been giving him approval. And instead of going to the father and growing in the father's love, he'll go to a girl. And he'll look to a girl for that for love. He'll look to a girl for approval. And you know what? That, that feels good and it works for a while. But ultimately, every one of us on planet Earth will find that a human being cannot give us the love that we really need. A human being cannot give us the approval that we really need. Only the Father can do that. And the Father wants to do that in our lives. Uh, number two, a mission. It's very easy for young men in our culture to kind of drift to just kind of float around, to go with the crowd, to do whatever, and not really to have any sense of purpose. Not really to say, I have a mission on planet Earth, and this is what I'm here to do. And so often a guy will cover, you know, not consciously even, but unconsciously, a guy will cover for that by going to a girl, and she will become his adventure. His mission will become winning her heart. And then eventually he wins her heart, let's say, and they have a relationship, and suddenly the mission is more or less over because he captured the girl. And uh, all of a sudden it goes back to becoming a drifter again. He becomes a man with no mission. And uh, that's why this whole concept of knowing 
the, the assignments that we have from the Father are really important to grow in. And then thirdly, an identity and a reputation. Uh, I remember when I was in my teens, I, I, I did a lot of wrestling. I, I, really, I really dealt with the big questions. And it was a very tough time in my life. And, you know, it was big questions like, who am I anyway? Like, what am I here to do? Those kinds of things, right? And doing a lot of searching. And it's important to get those questions answered before a young man pursues a young woman. It's really important to be strong in those areas before you ever enter into a romantic relationship. And I'm like talking to some grandpas and grandmas here, so I know you guys are like, Izzy, this totally doesn't apply to me, right? But for those, for those of you who will hear this later or whatever, I, I hope that this is, some use, this is a useful challenge for you. So, you know, before a young man or a young woman enters into a romantic relationship, you want to know who you are in your relationship with the Father. You want to know who you are as a disciple. Why? So that when you find your future spouse you'll know that person's a disciple of Yeshua too, and we're going to go together. And this thing's going to be powerful for the kingdom because I know who I am as a disciple, and I'm living that out. And, uh, you know, if you're a young guy, especially, like, girls are looking for a young man who has a good reputation, who knows who he is in the Father, who is secure in his Father's love, and who is going somewhere in life. And, uh, of course, that applies to gals too. It's kind of cool, actually. We totally see this in this parasha. Isaac isn't just moping around, waiting for his bride until he hits 40. You know, he's learning from his father. He's, he's out there, it says, meditating in the field. He's developing his inner life. And Rebecca is busy at home, like, helping out, serving, staying active, staying engaged in the family, right? It's an awesome example from this week's parasha. So... These are things that, you know, definitely apply to us as, uh, you know, when we're single and we're looking for a spouse. Uh, as a married couple, this applies to us also. I know I've learned a lot about this. Sometimes I will look to my wife for approval and for love that she simply cannot give because she is not God. And it's actually weird, but I've discovered that I can commit idolatry in my marriage by idolizing my spouse and going to my spouse first when I have when I need something instead of going to my father. So, you know, that's, that's part of the journey that I'm definitely on. Um, so having said that, let's look at a couple of scriptures about the father giving a bride to Yeshua, which I would see as being like the, the pinnacle act of all of creation and world history. Uh, if you want to read with me in John chapter 17, verse 6, uh, we, we have Yeshua saying to his father, I have revealed your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. So did you hear that? These guys were God's men firstly, and the God of Israel gave them to Yeshua as Tommy deemed disciples. Just as a side, a side little consideration, I've kind of wondered, how many Jewish people are God's men and God's women today, but they haven't had the revelation of Yeshua the Mashiach? Could it be that there will be a time when the Father will begin giving Jewish people whose hearts are, are truly His and who are truly seeking Him, begin giving to these people as giving these these people to, as Talmi deem to Yeshua. It's it's a it's something to, to consider. Uh, we also read in, in the book of Yohanan, John chapter six, verses thirty seven and sixty five, you can read it with me. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. No one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. So let me ask you, have you come to Yeshua? Yes, or you would not be here this morning, I guarantee you. You would be sleeping in. Because why would, why would you ever go to congregation on Saturday morning when you could be sleeping in? So that's how I know that the Father gave you to Yeshua. But think about this. The only reason you've come to Yeshua is because the Father gave you to His beloved Son. It's part of like His greatest gift. 
his loved gift, love gift to, to the Son. So that, th- th- this is another practical application from this concept. If you're praying for somebody, pray that the Father will give that person to Yeshua. Because that person literally cannot come to faith in Yeshua unless the Father explicitly gives that person to the Son. It all starts with the Father's gift of that person to the Son. And when that transaction is enacted, everything else is just going to play out. It'll happen. Uh, let's, let's read one more passage about that. It's from the book of Tehillim, Psalms, chapter 2, uh, verses 7 and 8. I will surely tell of the decree of Yahweh. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. So did you hear that? It's very biblical for Yeshua the Son to ask the Father for the nations of the world. What's the Hebrew word for nations? Goyim. Goyim, that's right. That's also translated, it's a translated ethnos in the Greek, every ethnicity on planet earth, and uh, Gentiles often in English. So did you hear that? In the book of Psalms already, the Father is speaking to the Mashiach and saying, if you ask me, I will give you the Gentiles of the earth as your inheritance. And I will give you the ends of the earth, i.e. Saskatchewan. Saskatchewan's pretty much the ends of the earth if you look at a map with Jerusalem as the center, as your possession. So that's another very powerful thing that you can pray. Just pray, Father, give this person, give this city to Yeshua, your son. We ask alongside our master Yeshua. We, we ask on the basis of his worthiness because he deserves it. We ask because you are the one who said ask. Give this city, give this country, give the Gentiles of the earth to Yeshua. That's a very powerful prayer. And I guarantee you the Father delights to answer that prayer. Because he wants to give Yeshua the desires of his heart. Yeshua wants to give his son, I mean, the Father wants to give his son Yeshua everything that he wishes. And it's kind of cool when we can come alongside that and get caught up in that drama. So let's, uh, let's see, how are we going to draw that? Uh, the Father giving his son a bride. Um, okay, I'm going to try and draw a bride, okay? This is going to be really fun. Um, let's see, dress, I guess. I guess yeah. So, here's the bride. Oh, should have made her, made her dress longer, sorry. Oh, she looks more like a football player, sorry. Anyway, um, let's see, there's... Got her hair done really nicely... There's her veil. Oh, yeah, little slippers. There we are. There are little slippers. And um, I'll try to draw some cute little lips. Oh, a hoopa, okay. There she's going to make her smile. There we are. And a hoopa, okay. Draw the hoopa. And there's the talit. There's the tzitzit on the corner of the talit. Okay, a bride. There you go. If any, if any of you want to do the drawing for me, you're welcome to, just so you know, okay? Hey, now we're going to look at a series of things that the Father has given the Son, specifically for His bride. So this is more in the context of Yeshua's romantic relationship with His people. Uh, firstly, we see the Father giving His Son life. Lechaim. We read in the book of John, chapter 5, verses 26 and 27. Read it with me. Just as the Father has life in Himself, even so He gave to the Son also to have life in Himself. What's the Hebrew word for life? 
Chaim. That's the first one. Okay, this is a principle that we learned from the Master. You remember he said, let the dead bury their own dead? He was talking about people that had all appearances of being alive. Like, they would get up in the morning, they would walk around, they would do stuff, they would eat food, they would talk. But Yeshua says, actually, those people are dead. There's something deep in a person, and it's either alive or dead. Have any of you ever seen someone who's, like, really alive? Like, you can just see it in the expression on their face. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in how they talk with other people. And it's like, wow, that person's really alive. I can think of people in my past like that. I've really admired people like that. I've found people like that to be the greatest inspiration. It's actually kind of cool when you even think of the, word, the English word inspiration, to inspire. Uh, you know the Latin word for, for, for spirit is spiritus, right? Breath, life, spiritus. To inspire means to inspirit, to enliven. Okay, yeah, to aspirate. Does that mean to, to breathe? Okay, that would be another word. Yeah, for sure. So it's kind of interesting that even the word to inspire means to, like, to be a life-giving person, to, um, to be a, a spiritual person. Anyway, let's, uh, let's look at one more, uh, one more verse along those lines. If you want to read with me, John chapter 17, verse 2. Yeshua, again speaking to his Abba, says, You gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. So did you hear that? Everybody that the Father gives to the Son, Yeshua has authority over everybody on planet Earth, and those people specifically, Yeshua will give Chayeolam, eternal life to those people, so that they can come to know the one true God, so that they can come to know Yeshua the Messiah, whom he sent. Wow. So again, there's the Father giving life to the Son, so that he can give life to his bride. Isn't that cool? Yeshua is life-giving to you. In all of Yeshua's relations with you as a community of disciples, He is life-giving. That's, that's, that, that's something that I, as a young husband, really look up to. Yeshua as a life-giving husband. Um, the Father also gave Yeshua teaching for His bride. Uh, we read in John chapter 17, verse 7, The words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they receive them. You can just hear like the joy in his voice. Abba, they receive them. And then he goes on in that, in that context to say, and they knew that it was you giving it to me. And they came to know that you sent me. Like you can just hear the joy in the master's voice. It's like, Father, she's recognized me. She knows who I really am. Like the relief, hey? And then he goes and dies the next day for her. Wow. And, and that, that's a theme that runs throughout the Gospel of John. Yeshua says, you know, I, I only say what I've heard from my Father. I only give you the teachings that I have received from Him. I wonder if that doesn't apply sometimes in, in our relationships with other people too. Maybe the Father has words to give you for other people. Maybe He has a cool little insight or a life-giving little teaching that you can offer to someone in your life. I believe that definitely applies. Uh, also, oh yeah, okay, let's, let's, um, let's draw a picture there for life and for teaching. Uh, what are, how are we going to draw life? Maybe just hmm? a heart. Okay. Okay, a heart, and it's how's that? Okay, good. So that's our picture for life. And then, what are we going to draw for teaching? A book. Okay, good. I'll draw a book. Um, hmm. I haven't drawn a lot of books before. Okay, and then we'll... Um, how does that look? And we'll write it from right to left, of course, because it's a Hebrew. Okay, there we go. There's a book. 
the good book. There you go. Okay. We also see that the Father has given His Son revelation of Himself and revelation of the future. If you want to read with me Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, this is from this week's readings. Well, yeah, these are different things that the Father has given His Son in the context of His relationship, Yeshua's relationship with the bride. Yeah, but each of these are standalone things. Okay, so let's read Matthew eleven twenty-seven. Yeshua says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So who's the only one who really knows the Son at this point in time? The Father. And you know, the Father is letting us get to know His wonderful Son also. And who knows the Father? The Son and anyone, that's right, to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. So did you get that? Nobody can know Abba unless Yeshua wants to reveal the Father to that person. And of course, you know, my, my conviction is he wants to reveal the Father to everybody on the planet, but not everybody wants to get to know the Father for uh, varied reasons. Okay, here's another scripture if you want to read it with me. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the opening line that sets the tone for the apocalypse. It says, The revelation of Yeshua, the Messiah, which God gave him to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. So did you hear that? It's like the father saying, Son, I have a revelation that I'm going to give to you so that you can give it to your bride. It's a revelation of me. It's a revelation of you. It's a revelation of what will transpire in the future. And so he gave that to Yeshua. It's like Yeshua is in charge of spiritual revelation. Like nothing gets through our thick skulls unless the son grants it. That's especially true with my thick skull because I, I have a thicker than average skull. Yeah, so um, what, shall we, what shall we draw to uh, picture this uh, revelation concept? What, yeah, what do we draw for revelation? A light bulb. Oh, I like that. Okay. Um, light bulb. Oh, okay, I'll draw a classical light bulb instead of these new energy saving ones, okay? Cool. <laughs> That's a gooder. Okay, a light bulb for, for revelation. Uh, two things that we see that often go together in Scripture, it's like a poetic couplet, are suffering and glory. For instance, in 1 Peter 5, he said, we, we elders in the Messianic community were witnesses of his sufferings and of his glory. And we see that the Father gave both of these experiences to his Son also. Uh, the Father granted to his Son to suffer on behalf of his bride. Maybe you wouldn't think of suffering as a gift, especially vicarious suffering on behalf of someone else, but it actually is. If you want to read with me, uh, the book of John, chapter 18, verse 11, Yeshua said to Peter, Put the sword into the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me. Shall I not drink it? So we, we see here that suffering on behalf of the bride was something that Yeshua poetically pictured as a cup. If you can imagine like a, a chalice filled to the brim with the sufferings of humanity, with the consequences of sin. And the Father should have given that cup to you and to me. And you should have drunk it to the dregs. And you should have suffered in hell. But Yeshua took that cup and he drank it to its very dregs. And everything that we should have experienced, he experienced. 
It's a beautiful picture. It's especially beautiful when you learn about um, the Jewish model of betrothal and marriage. Because at the betrothal ceremony, like the legalized engagement ceremony, the, the suitor offers the girl a cup and they drink from that cup and it symbolizes their commitment to each other and to do life together and to experience all the joys and the sorrows of life together. And Yeshua took that whole cup that we as the bride should have drunk and he drank it himself. So, sufferings. What shall we draw for sufferings? A crown of thorns? Yeah, cross. Take up your cross and follow me, yeah. A cross and a crown of thorns. Okay, sounds good. An execution stake. Uh, crown of thorns. Uh, I don't know how to draw thorns there. There. And I'll draw a cup too. Because that was the symbol in this picture. Close. There we are. Okay. Okay, so the other half of that couplet isn't just sufferings, but glory. The Father gave His Son glory to enjoy with His bride. Uh, read with me from the Gospel of Yohanan, 17.24. Father... I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. So did you hear that? Father, I have a desire that these whom you have given me, my bride, may be with me where I am. It's interesting that he didn't say, be with me where I will be. He said, be with me where I am. Because at that moment, in that upstairs room, where the last Seder was happening, Yeshua's disciples were in the physical bodies. They were in one place, and Yeshua was somewhere else. His body was in the room, but his soul was with the Father in the spiritual dimension. Eh? And, and he was saying, Father, I want them to be where I am. It's the whole uh, gift of the, the Ruach HaKodesh uh, concept. That they may see my glory which you've given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. Uh, we also hear Yeshua saying again in the Gospel of Yohanan, 17.22, The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. That's a smasher, hey? Like the glory that the Father gave His Son, the very glory of God, for instance, that like shone forth um, from the, the Mishkan, like the tabernacle, that fell on the altar and consumed the sacrifices at the dedication of the temple and Solomon's uh, tenure. Like, there's so many times, every time the glory of God shows up on the picture, Yeshua is saying, Father, you gave me that glory, and I am giving it to this community of my disciples so that they can be echad, so that they can have that union just like I have with you. Wow, hey? So it's the name of God and what that represents, and it's the glory of God that will make us one as the body of Messiah. It won't be a human agenda. It won't be programs. It won't be anything. It'll just be God's name and God's glory and what that represents. And then finally, in the, the finale, we... Oh, oh yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's draw that. How are we going to draw um, the glory? <laughs> Shiny rays. Mm-hmm. No, actually, that's a more Western concept of glory there. Though, like shining rays and stuff, you know? Let's, let's think about this. What would be an example in the Tanakh of the glory of God? Fire. Fire, okay. 
The smoke filling the temple, yeah. The cherubim, yeah. Cool. I like those. Okay, I'll, I'll try to draw a couple of those here. Um, let's draw a fire. Uh, and then, like, smoke. And, uh, oh man, cherubim. Guys, I don't know if I can draw cherubim. I'll try. Um, oh man, it looks like big butterfly, man. Anyway, that's the fun. Okay, there, that's, those are better wings, hey? I don't know if they're happy or not, so I'll make them look serious there. Okay, there, glory. Cool. Right, and then finally, um, the finale, in finale, we see the father giving his son a throne and a kingdom, a kingdom to oversee with his bride, a kingdom to enjoy with his bride. Uh, Read with me from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse uh, 28. Yeshua speaks to his Ptolemy demon and says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So you see that is like just the beginning of Yeshua's bride, his, his inner circle of the twelve. And he says, guys, I'm not going to be administrating this kingdom by myself. I'm, an, I'm going to give you each a throne too, and you're going to help me administrate the kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? Like, the son and his bride working together. They don't just, they, like, they actually have a job to do for the father. Um, also read with me from the book of Luke chapter 1, verses 31 to 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And Yahweh God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. So did you hear that? Yahweh God will give him the throne of his father David. And this is the stuff that, like, the great legends are made of. This is the stuff that epics are composed of, hey? Like the ancient throne of David being, being given to, to Yeshua and this was a prophecy made of him just like at the beginning of the whole story, eh? So we see that Yeshua was given the throne of David from his father. Oh, let's also read in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Hallelujah. Yeah. So did you hear that? Again, it's Yeshua, the Son of Man. In Hebrew, he's called the Ben-Adam. In, in Aramaic, he's the Bar-Enosh. It's a messianic title for the ultimate king of Israel. And it says that he, was, he came up with the clouds of heaven. You remember when Yeshua stood before the, the, the puppet court the, the, in the mock trial, and that was one of the things he said, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And it says... To him was given dominion, 
glory and a kingdom so that everyone would serve him. And let's read one more verse. This one is about you, the bride. It's a correlative verse. A couple, uh, couple of verses down. Daniel chapter 7 verse 18 says, But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, for all ages to come. So did you hear that? The saints of the highest one, that's the bride. It isn't just Yeshua, the, the Mashiach receiving the kingdom. His bride is right there also receiving it. And actually directly prior to that, um, he's, 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 um, the, I think it's the angel is specifying about um, like the fourth beast, the really brutal beast. And it's saying like the, the, the saints of the highest one will be crushed for a time. It will be extremely tough for them. But hey, good news. That's not the end of the story. So um, what are we going to draw for a, a throne and a kingdom here? Okay, crown, of course. Let's draw right here. These are the old markers I used to use when I was teaching in-house Hebrew class. They're a couple years old. I think I need to get some new ones. Anyway, okay, here's a crown. And uh, a throne, okay. A throne in Hebrew is a kisei. It's the same word for chair. So actually, you don't, you're all sitting on thrones this morning. <laughs> kind of cool. Um, okay, a, th- a throne that's here. How in the world do I draw a throne? Okay. Um, there's the armrests. And there's the back. Um, you know, draw a king sitting on the throne. Crown. And then, uh, here, I'll draw lions on either side because that says that they were lions. Um... Oh, that's a scary line. There were lions like on either side of Solomon's throne there. Okay, so to, to sum up this whole concept of all the things that the Father has given his dear Son, read with me in John chapter 3, verse 35. It says, The Father loves the Son and has given everything into his hand. Everything. Just like it says Abraham gave everything that he had to Isaac, we see the ultimate Father giving the ultimate Son everything. Um, And then here's a correlative verse about the Messianic community as the bride of Mashiach. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 21 to 23, we read, So then, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you. And you belong to Mashiach, and Mashiach belongs to God. Did you hear that? It all belongs to God the Father. He's given it to His Son Yeshua. And as co-heirs of Yeshua, as vice-regents with the Creator of the universe, everything you see on planet Earth, everything you could see through the Hubble telescope, it actually belongs to you. Yeshua is inheriting the universe, and his bride is going to inherit the universe right alongside of him. What, what could we draw to just picture everything? A circle. circle, okay. Let's draw a big circle in the middle. Everything, there we go. And you can just put everything in the circle there. So just to, um, to review this, the Father has given his dear Son love and approval. A mission, that is to say, assignments to complete, a task in this world, a name, that is to say, an identity and a reputation, a bride to enjoy and to share life with and eternity with, 
life to give to his bride, teaching to give to his bride, spiritual revelation of the Father and of Yeshua the groom and of the future to give to his bride, suffering to experience on behalf of his bride, glory for his bride to behold, a throne to rule on, and subthrones also for those for whom they're appointed, a kingdom to oversee with his bride and to enjoy forever, and uh, just in case we left every, anything out, everything else to boot. I will leave you with this thought. Oh yeah, cheer away. Thank you, Father, for what you've given to your son, Yeshua. (laughs) There's one thing that the Father hasn't given Yeshua yet. Can you guess what it is? He didn't give him the green light yet to go get his bride. He hasn't given given him the knowledge, from my understanding, of when that day is that he actually gets to come for us as people and take us to experience all that we've just reviewed um, based on this verse from uh, the parasha. Shalom, I'm Izzy Avraham, and thank you for joining me for this talk. I delivered these messages live during the years I was leading a congregation. They're now hosted by my Hebrew school, Holy Language Institute at holylanguage.com. If you're interested in the talks I've done since then, or if you'd just like to say thank you for these teachings, become a member at holylanguage.com.